0: You cannot put a bunch of people in a room and just say, turn off your cell phones and everything that happens after this is going to be ghosts. No, there are so many things in the environment that are making these things happen. It's just that sometimes the timing of them is just good enough that everyone in the room starts oohing and eye.
1: And I was like, oh my God, I just want it to stop so I can get into bed and sleep because I'm freezing and I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much everything. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't for me.
0: Even at the time, I was honest with myself and said, you know, there really wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on that wasn't driven by the people that were there. The scariness of it was churned up by the crowd and their anticipation of things. What we never experienced was ironclad proof of anything beyond the fact that we were in an old house with a long history and some of that history might not have been terribly pleasant.
1: Welcome to Unbound,
0: a podcast for new atheists,
1: and lifetime atheists, ex evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers.
0: There is life after faith.
1: And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective
0: and a better conversation. I'm Spider.
1: And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound.
0: I'm sorry to say that the concept of spectral evidence is alive and well in the 21st century. Only problem is, There's no more actual proof now than there was when the afflicted girls of Salem were about their business of curing their boredom by facilitating hangings. Yeah. Today, it's all about selling the experience of spectral evidence and doing everything possible to manufacture it. If it raises the hair on the back of your neck, it must be real, right? I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight, we're kicking off year three of Unbound October with a discussion on ghost investigations. You know, I'm a grown-ass man. I'm a grown-ass man, and yet, for a brief time, I believed all of this implicitly. I went on investigations, I even brought my own equipment. I was convinced that it was all real even when 99% of our time on an investigation yielded absolutely zip. We're going to talk about how the media hypes up ghost investigations, and I'm also going to share some of my experiences with it. The differences just between reality TV and actual reality with this one are staggering, to say the least. We'll have more on that in just a few minutes, but first, The Transformed Wife Drops the Ball on Feminism, How to Cure Atheism with More Christian Rhetoric, or not, and School-Sanctioned Kitty Porn. No, we aren't kidding. These things round out this week's eclectic but no less infuriating edition of Christians Behaving Badly in a segment that I'm affectionately titling Christians Behaving Badly Hot Tub Crime Machine Edition. Wow. I'll even say it backwards. Wow. (laughs) What have you got for us this week?
1: Well, I think by now we've all heard of Lori Alexander or the transformed wife on her social media. She's one of these women who tells other women to basically sit down and obey your husband. Her Twitter feed is truly toxic. When she was criticized once for admonishing women to be at their husband's beck and call for sex at all times, she answered, well, how long does it take? This says far more about her own life than we really want to know.
0: Yeah, for real.
1: And she's posted yet another one of her excellent lists comparing feminists with Christians, and it's just what you might think. However, the feminist list seems just kind of obvious to modern women. As I was reading it, I was thinking, yes, yes, well, of course, Um, duh. I mean, really criticizing feminists for raising their daughter to be feminists, and dressing how they like, being independent, and using birth control.
0: Oh my goodness, not birth control.
1: Gasp. One hilarious thing is that she doesn't seem to conceive of the notion that anyone wouldn't believe in God. She says that feminists preach in church and twist God's word. I mean, whatever happened to good old atheism?
0: I never heard feminist messaging in any church that I was in, even the ones that were a little bit more progressive. Oh, yeah. I did know Christian women who identified as feminists yeah. and kind of had a good handle on what that was. But those same women also took Paul's advice and kept quiet in church because, mm. I mean, this is the type of thing that can really, really kick up the hornet's nest. So no, I don't recall Ever hearing anyone spouting feminist ideology in the middle of a church service or even in, you know, like coffee hour. Yeah, right. I'm one person, but it's never personally happened to me.
1: The bigger part of the problem is that she seems to think feminism or Christian as if it's one or the other. You can go to college, but still have children and raise a family. Any decisions that might lead to personal happiness seems to be anathema to following Christ. The list isn't doing what she thinks it is. To me, it just seems like it's reinforcing all of the reasons us feminists might have left the church in the first place. Yeah,
0: true. She is a bit clueless, but then again, they all are. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that she wouldn't be able to conceive of anyone who doesn't believe in God. I mean, none of them can. They all think that we're nuts. Yeah, and we all th- and we think that they're all nuts. <laughs> so it's one of those I don't even want to say it. Never the twain shall meet kind of things because otherwise, what are we doing here? Right. But at the same time, it's a very tough nut to crack, especially when you've got someone like this who has all kinds of support behind her. She's got all kinds of people fueling this kind of thinking and sitting there waiting for more. Yeah. So that's not a recipe for learning any better about anything. Yeah. And especially when it comes to this, it is a major, major, major uphill battle to try and get these people to change their minds about anything. But even when faced with certain realities, they put that spin on it, don't they? Yeah, It's they do. like, well, yeah, now these people are getting into our churches. Where? What churches? What are they saying? What kind of dust are they kicking up? You know, details, evidences, anything. Yeah. They love to say things, but they don't like to qualify anything.
1: They don't have to.
0: Well, not within their own circles, they don't.
1: Because their congregations will just accept it.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, that's just the sad truth of the matter. Oh, and this next one, uh, get used to it, people. And no, you're not going to be able to pray it away.
1: No. Newsflash, a Southern Baptist leader is shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that some Americans are proud of the fact that they do not believe in God. I'm one. And I'm another. The Family Research Council seems to have finally realized that the Pew Research Group was serious when their survey results found that the religious group known as the nuns will be almost half of all Americans by 2070.
0: And that doesn't mean a bunch of women walking around in black and white. It's no. N-O-N-E-S. Yes. Not N-U-N-S. <laughs> Can you imagine a country that's half nuns?
1: That would be scary.
0: Yeah. All those rosaries rattling around. <laughs> would you be able to hear anything else above the din?
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I've got that out of my system. Continue. Continue.
1: <laughs> In a conversation between the president of the Family Research Council, Tony Perkins, and a former executive of the Southern Baptist Convention, Ronnie Floyd, Perkins asked Floyd what he thought of these results. Here is his completely out-of-touch answer. I think that the reality is that America is becoming a much more secular nation day by day. Ooh, they admit it. And almost daily, we are seeing this move towards complete secularism, a vacancy of God in our midst. Never has there been a greater moment to be able to really pursue deeply the next great spiritual awakening in the United States. It is obvious that God alone is our answer, and we must come to him.
0: You know, it it just never ceases to amaze me how they just cannot see the forest for the trees. Yeah. No, things are trending this way for a reason, and that reason is not because you need more cowbell, okay? (laughs) That's not it. You don't need more of this same shit. You need to understand that if this is the way the tides are turning, maybe it's a good idea to look at the actual factual reasons why instead of hiding behind your God and saying, we just need to push back harder.
1: Yeah, So his brilliant solution to the issue of Americans wanting nothing to do with the Christian God, or any other God, is more Christian God. Of course. I'm sure that'll work. Seriously.
0: Oh, definitely. It'll work like a charm. Get to it.
1: (laughs) These results cause no cause for introspection or reconsideration of how their actions, Christianity's own actions, might have caused this shift away from their churches and gatherings, Of course not. Of course not,
0: because that's not how they think. No. You know, their way is right, and they are going to pursue their rightness to the nth degree, and that's just that. Yeah. Well, guess what? So are we. And guess who appears to be winning?
1: Yeah, right. When Perkins asked Floyd what result jumped out at him, he gave another completely tone-deaf answer. It was the blatant commitment to declaring yourself a nun, someone who has no faith whatsoever at all. I think we lived in an America and grew up in an America that whether or not that was a reality or not in a person's heart, they would not say it. Today, there is a freedom to say it and even a pride in saying it.
0: Yes, and these are good things.
1: And also, they're not proudly declaring anything. Most of them just can't bring themselves to use a religious label. But you'd really need to read the data to understand that, but why bother? He's right, in his eyes, so it doesn't matter what's really going on.
0: Denial. It's not just a river in Egypt, folks. Nope.
1: He then added that Christians just need to proselytize more, (laughs) as if that hasn't done enough damage already. One of the reasons people have non-religious pride is because those old Christian tactics are no longer working. But sure, keep doing what you're doing. Maybe it will have different results this time.
0: What is it that they say about the first sign of insanity doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result?
1: I think we're way past the first sign.
0: Yeah. We're like, um, there's a good analogy here. I need to get it out the right way. We're more in the realm of the south of the border number of signs (laughs) as you travel south on I-95. I think we're in that realm right now. We're way past the first sign. Pedro has been in our face about, I don't know, a thousand times already. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now this one, I actually heard about just a couple of days ago and almost felt like I had to pull the car over. It's like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing here. Yeah. And the fact that if it's true that it's been going on for a while in this school. So just one more for the road with Christians behaving badly this week, and it is a doozy. Yeah
1: finally yet another christian school demonstrating exactly the wrong way to deal with a student issue an 8-year-old girl was kicked out of victory christian academy in jacksonville florida after her parents objected to one of her homework assignments among other things like practice scripture reading with adult three times whatever that means and practice spelling is the following send picture of you doing reading homework in the bathtub That's weird, right? I
0: had such a wait-what moment when I heard that. It's like, are they fucking serious?
1: Seriously. Well, the parents of an eight-year-old child found it odd as well, and were very uncomfortable having their child do this. So they wrote on the child's assignment sheet that they send back to school that their child would not be taking pictures in the bathtub. We do not condone taking pictures in the bathroom. Knowing what people are like, this makes sense to me as well. If this were a public school, I'd be concerned about this assignment, much less at a Christian school. You never know who you might be sending pictures to. True that. When the child's mother, Misty Dunham, emailed the teacher for a clarification, the teacher replied with, We have been sending this homework assignment home for years, and you're the only one complaining about it. Just cover your child in pillows or pajamas then.
0: The thing that really gets me about this is that the whole cover your child with pillows or pajamas thing seems to be optional. Yeah. I mean, really? And this has been an assignment at this school for years and they've gotten exactly one complaint?
1: Yeah. I mean, is a picture of a clothed or covered up child the exception rather than the rule? That's weird.
0: Yes. That's really weird. weird. Very weird.
1: What the heck were people sending this teacher? Actually, that's a valid question for another reason. The school's Facebook page says Irene Castaneda, the child's teacher, was hired in August. So how does she know no one else has complained about it?
0: She doesn't, and that's the point.
1: Other parents also seemed as flippant as the teacher about it. But despite that, the child's parents called the school administration, as well as the sheriff's office, to document their objections. The police obviously told the parents not to complete the assignment. That's where this story should have ended.
0: But it's not going
1: to. Because of course. Just a few days later, the family got a call from the school. And Misty Dunham is describing it. He said, I think you guys should do a parental withdrawal for the child. And she said, I can't. I can't do that. We refuse to withdraw her. He said, okay, thank you for saying that. And then continued... Well, we're going to proceed with an administration withdrawal.
0: I love it how they always try to make the person that they want to get rid of make the first move, whether it's a pastor they want to get rid of so yeah. that they don't have to pay unemployment <laughs> or something like this so that they can stand up in court and say, well, they left voluntarily. Yeah, And that's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. They're trying to cover their ass in court. Right. And this very, very smart parent did not give them the avenue to do that. And that's a very, very good thing. These people were very smart in the way they handled it. They didn't just go gently into the night, and I think that that's a really good thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And this was despite the school withdrawing the assignment out of an abundance of caution, and despite the Dunhams having a legitimate complaint, their child was still kicked out of the school. And there's no answer from the school on that one. Shocking. Hemet Mehta makes the point that the whole incident is a microcosm of Christianity's treatment of sexual abuse. A girl bravely said she was uncomfortable with what an adult was doing, and the church's response was to punish the girl, not the adult. It would have been so easy to take care of this problem, but the school's reaction was to double down on the assignment until media attention made that impossible and then they took their wrath out on the family, leaving them scrambling to find a new school and forcing the child to make new friends after the school year has already begun.
0: Yes, you know, I think that that could be a little bit problematic, but in the grand scheme of things, that school did these people a favor. Oh, yeah. Because if this kid winds up in public school, then there's going to be a little bit more secularization in the way that she's learning, and she may learn to think a little bit better over the course of time. And that could also rub off on the parents because these people don't strike me as the type that are going to start sending in notes to their teachers because things aren't Jesus-y enough. Yeah. You know? It doesn't seem that they way. They seem like they have a little bit more of a level head on their shoulders. Right. So hopefully this turns into a good thing. Hopefully it has the effect of allowing this person to get at least a slightly better education. I mean, as good an education as you can get in any school in America, yeah. which isn't much. No. But I still think that it's better than anything any Christian school has to offer, yeah. especially ones that assign kitty porn yeah. as homework assignments.
1: That's really weird.
0: And on that happy note, we want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. If you are inclined to make a donation, that's where you're going to do it. If you are just flat busted broke like so many people are these days, we understand that completely, but there are other things you can do. You can help us with your likes, your shares, your five-star ratings, all the things that help podcasts grow. And number one on the list is to tell people about us. Let people know that we're out there, especially the ones that need to hear this messaging the most. You could be instrumental in one more of those starfish getting tossed back into the surf. You can help people get and stay Unbound by simply letting them know that we're here. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this. I just want to uh, thank everybody again for coming back week after week. And I'm excited about Unbound October. I'm excited about the topics we're going to be covering Next week, we're going to be starting our two-week discussion on mediumship. The working title for next week's episode is "Praying on Grief. We're going to be talking specifically about these mediums that specialize in conveying messages from beyond yeah. and giving people false senses of hope that somehow their loved ones are still out there somewhere and the psychological damage that it can cause. Do they care? No. They're making tons of money off of people's grief. We're going to have a solid, in-depth conversation about this and really expose the man behind the curtain with this one. That's going to be next week, two weeks from now. Working title, which is probably going to change because as I'm reading it, I'm like, dude, you got to be kidding. But working title for two weeks from now is Tarot Tricksters and Palmistry Players. How do they even know that? Well, we're going to talk about how your average parlor card reader Mm -hmm. knows things and how they get information from you without... You even realizing that you're giving it to them. That's going to be in two weeks. And beyond that, we've got more really, really good content for Unbound October, including our end of the month Halloween Eve edition, where we'll be doing our review of the Amityville horror. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Because that movie scared the living shit out of me as a kid. Yeah. And now it's just like not a single thing in this movie ever even happened. No. And yet, if you look at the novel on which this movie was based, to this day, it says based on a true story right on the cover. Right. And we've known better for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be our focus of that review. Not just going through the movie, but going through everything they lied about and things that have been found out since. So I'm really looking forward to that one. For right now, let's kick off Unbound October with our discussion on ghost investigations. <music> Let's start out by looking at how popular media handles the subject of ghost investigations and, well, surprise, it's incredibly oversensationalized and even more unbelievable than the real thing. I've watched the shows, I've gone on the investigations, I've watched shows that went to the same places that I've done investigations, <laughs> and I can tell you the difference between what you see on the screen and what you experience in the middle of an investigation are completely different things. I pulled up an article on AZ Central that concurs with a lot of my opinions on this. There's a guy out there, his name is Vincent Amico, he is a bonafide ghost investigator, he believes in all of this stuff, but he has some strong opinions on how the media handles this and he's not the only one. He's not the only quote unquote real ghost hunter out there who finds what these shows do to be just completely over the top. I mean, he says it point blank in the article. He says, most of that stuff on TV is bunk. It never happens like that. And all I can say to that is, can confirm. (laughs) Because like I just said, I've actually been to some of the places that I've seen on TV. And yeah, no, nothing anywhere near as exciting and certainly not the number of instances in a single night of an investigation ever happened. And there, there are obvious reasons for that that we'll get into more as we go. Amico has the experience to back up his claim. He's been investigating the paranormal for 15 years. In 2014, he and his wife started AZ Paranormal Investigations and Research Society. He went on to say that the kinds of things that seem to happen all the time on these shows are extreme rarities. I'm going to forgive the fact that this guy believes in this stuff because at very least he's honest about the way the media hypes the shit out of it. He says... A guy says he felt something touch him or you hear a door slam off camera, that's the easiest stuff to fake. Of course it is. There's no way to prove that he wasn't touched or that someone off camera didn't slam that door. And therein lies the problem. Even if someone isn't slamming the door, um, is someone else opening another one close by? Is there a window open somewhere? Because that's a perfectly normal thing that happens. It boils down to very, very simple physics. And really, how do you argue with someone who says something touched him? Ever try proving a negative? It's nigh unto impossible in most cases. But the idea of ghost investigations goes back pretty far. But the whole media hype with it actually began in 2004 when the Sci-Fi Channel Mm -hmm. launched their show Ghost Hunters. From there, we got a host of others. And I just pulled up a list of shows that are out there that are all basically copycats. Most of these I've seen at least one or two episodes of. We've got Haunted Towns. It only had a two-season run, but it followed a group of paranormal investigators that called themselves the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. (laughs) And uh, they... Traveled to what they believed to be the country's most haunted towns in the hope of trapping ghosts. I'm I'm thinking about Ghostbusters Afterlife at this point. In my head, I'm seeing these guys riding around in this clunker and firing positron chargers at stuff as they drive by. They had a short run. I never saw that one and um, probably thankful for the couple of hours of my life that I saved not watching it. (laughs) Paranormal State was one that I actually liked. I have actually seen a few episodes of this one. It started in 2007. It was on the A&E Network. They didn't really go as much for the shock and awe as a lot of these shows did. It was more academic than a lot of them were because they were all college students, hence the name Paranormal State. But unlike other shows in its genre, they didn't go the whole route of tangible evidence the way that a lot of these shows did. I mean, Shows like Ghost Adventures were rooted and built up on all the evidences and all the crazy shit that allegedly happened. This was more academic, and I think I kind of liked it for that reason. Scariest Places on Earth was another one that was kind of a uh, Ghost Adventures knockoff. It did last five seasons, but I think that the one thing that appealed to some people with this was that it was hosted by Linda Blair. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, kind of, I, I think it probably extended its life by about four seasons.
1: It gives it devil cred.
0: True. It absolutely does. I mean, a show called Scariest Places on Earth, hosted by Reagan herself? Yes. Yeah, why not? <laughs> then there was the original Ghost Hunters, 11 seasons, 230 episodes, and 10 specials. People wow. were into this. Yeah, they were. Then this, this show got some ratings and it spawned off several spin-offs including Ghost Nation, UFO Hunters, Woo-hoo. and Ghost Hunters Academy and Ghost Hunters International. It morphed into Law and Order. Yeah. Or CSI. <laughs> you know, it had all, all of these all of these niche series that followed on its heels. And since I already mentioned them, Ghost Adventures actually was my favorite. I think I've watched more episodes of Ghost Adventures yeah. than any of the other ones, and probably all of the other ones combined. Not hard to do when you're looking at a show that's gone on for 22 fucking seasons. Yeah. It's been around for a while. They take more of a documentary approach with it, but it's still nothing but a bunch of hype. Once they're inside the house and they're doing their thing, I'm sorry, every episode after a while starts to look and feel the same. Right. Their reactions to everything are the same. The things that they Find the things that they discover. I mean, there's very, very little delineation between one episode and another. You're seeing all the same things. They're using all the same techniques, and it does get very repetitive after a while. I'm not sure how they found their formula and how they made it work well enough to last 22 seasons, but more power to them. You know, they've got an audience. And that's really all it takes. You got an audience and the show continues. And that's that's been their thing for 22 years. So there is plenty of fodder out there for people who are interested in this and don't want to get off their couch. <laughs> but all these shows are about the same. They present this in pretty much the same way. Some of them have a little bit more of a creative spin on it than others, like Paranormal State, but most of them follow the same formula. Basically, it looks like this. The investigative team arrives on site with cameras and a bunch of funky equipment. They are typically committed to spending the night at the investigation site. They amass a bunch of evidence that there are ghosts there. And all of this always happens before daybreak Of course, because ghosts can't function in daylight, evidently. Mm. Light dawns, they leave and they round things out by overhyping and overinflating the experience so that the viewers have a little bit of ooh, ah, shock, and awe to go by until next week. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And let me tell you, some of their reactions, especially at the end, are so overwrought. It's like, I'd recommend you for an Oscar if your acting wasn't so shitty. <laughs> you know, They play it up hard. So Vincent Amico had more to say about this. He said that these shows aren't misleading at best and fake at worst. A typical paranormal investigation takes several visits over weeks or months. And it's true because every last investigation that I went on was part of a larger and ongoing investigation. It was never a one-night thing. But these people treat it like that's all it is. And, you know, I don't want to try and legitimize it. Right. But at the same time, there's at least a heightened level of believability when you don't just show up someplace, set up cameras, go ooh and ah for eight hours and leave. At least it lends some semblance of, I don't even want to use the word credibility, but I can't come up with a better one heightens the credibility and believability of it. I don't know how else to put it, but just disclaimer, there's nothing credible or believable about it (laughs) outside of the realm of the people who are actually inclined to believe this. It amazes me that there are people out there making their living doing this, but there are, and not just on TV either. I mean, Ghostbusters is, without the Positron chargers, it's a real thing. Yeah. People actually do this, And people believe that they can go in there and exercise these ghosts, too. I mean, that was one of the primary goals of one of the people in our group when we went on these investigations. She was really gung-ho about the idea of having the opportunity to help people cross over. They're stuck in this space, and I'm going to help them cross over. That was her whole purpose for being at those investigations. Well, they're not going to because it's all imaginary. And I don't know, if I was the owner of one of these venues and it was known for its quote unquote ghosts, I wouldn't want someone in there trying to kick them out. Yeah. That's just me, you know, as as someone who's trying to protect my business a little bit. If I want to perpetuate this, then why am I going to allow someone to come in and basically shoo them away?
1: I remember being on that one investigation that I actually took part in and I was thinking to myself, could you just not? Because she didn't make a secret about wanting to help them cross over. Right. And it was like, could you not do this? I know. It's just like- It no. was
0: It was a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. But the thing is, we all believed that right. there were things there. And she was a person who had some authority in our little circle.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: no one was going to try and contradict her. Yeah. But it was a little cringy. It was a lot cringy. <laughs> it was a lot. So Amigo also said that ghosts never show up on demand. It's like, you can't just walk into a house and go, here's spooky, spooky, spooky. Here's spooky. (laughs) Nope, that's not the way it works. Not even a little. He says the overwhelming majority of time in a ghost investigation is idle and can confirm again Mm. because I went on a lot of these things and... Even at the time, I was honest with myself and said, you know, there really wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on that wasn't driven by the people that were there. The scariness of it was churned up by the crowd and their anticipation of things, but we really never saw much of anything. I did experience a couple of things that I can't explain, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit too, but for the most part, it was just sitting around in a lot of times dark or mostly dark places. because creepy stuff happens in the dark. yeah. And it was a lot of waiting around for shit to happen that just never happened. And we have it from a self-proclaimed expert that that's most of it. They use all kinds of things. They have EMF devices that measure waves in the electromagnetic field. They have EVP devices that are supposed to pick up recordings right. of things that you can't necessarily hear without the aid of of these things, and most of them are nothing more than just tape recorders. But let's talk first about the whole EMF thing, because that is the one that I think creates the most oohs and ahs, and it also is the one that has the most variables in how it's actually going to work. Now, anyone who has watched just one or two episodes of one of these shows knows what we're talking about. These are devices that are said to be able to pick up fluctuations in in the electromagnetic field. And well they, well, they can I mean, the, the, the devices aren't, they're legit. They can do this, but they're not picking up what we're supposed to believe they're picking up. Now, one of the things that they used to tell us when we would first arrive for an investigation was that before we ventured out into the house or wherever it was we were going, everyone was asked to turn off their cell phones, not silence them, but turn them off. But here's the thing. There's always one or two who just don't want to play completely by the rules. They silence their phones but don't turn them off. And now these phones are still transmitting and receiving. And these things do create fluctuations in the electromagnetic field. And that's just the way it is. I mean, with the sheer number of things that go through us and bounce off of us, I mean, your Wi Fi signal your phone, anything that has a wireless connection. And let's go back into even more primitive examples and just talk about radio frequencies. Like every radio station in your area, every TV station that broadcasts on air, those waves are in the room with you right now. Right, They're here. And all of them have the capability of doing what this is supposed to do. So this is where a lot of... The quote unquote evidences come from. It's usually nothing more than static or things that sound like static. And I feel like people at least ought to understand this. But I don't know if many people out there do. This is something that anyone who's familiar with William Gibson's work, um, he was the one who wrote Johnny Mnemonic. And he, not only was he the first person to use the term cyberspace, But he came up with this theory and it's just, it's a fictional theory for a fictional story, but in a way it makes sense. He talked about a condition that people were starting to develop called NAS or nerve attenuation syndrome. And what causes all of it? All the signals and waves that come crashing into us all day long because of the way that technology has evolved. So you can tell people to turn off their cell phones all you want. All it takes is a car driving by, close enough for you to pick up the various sensors that are in the vehicle. Mm. All it takes is just those fleeting little moments where there are tiny fluctuations in the electromagnetic field. And all of a sudden, it looks like things are happening. It's like you're sitting there and you're asking questions, or you're telling, or you're asking the ghosts to make themselves known, and the thing flickers, and everyone's like, "Ooh, they're here." Well, no, it's just that some dude with an XM radio
1: <laughs> just
0: uh, drove by, and you're getting the noise from the signal going back and forth. There's a lot of auditory junk in the air, yeah, and people constantly making those connections and using these devices, or just tuning in something on the radio. All of these things are going to have an effect because guess what? Radio waves are not completely clean. They're not completely stable. They're not always as strong at one moment as they are at another. There are so many factors that weigh into how good a signal you're going to get off of any kind of device where wherever you are that you cannot, you cannot put a bunch of people in a room and just say, turn off your cell phones and everything that happens after this is going to be ghosts. No, there are so many things in the environment that are making these things happen. It's just that sometimes the timing of them is just good enough that everyone in the room starts ooing and eye, and that's it. Yes. But it's nothing but coincidence. It, very well-placed coincidence, especially for the people organizing the event, but coincidence nonetheless. But getting back to the whole media aspect of this, most viewers understand going in, what they're going to see on one of these shows. They know the setup. And otherwise, otherwise, why would they watch? Why would they even be bothered? In almost every episode of every one of these shows, the EVP recorder is going to come out at some point. That is electronic voice phenomenon. And this can take on a bunch of different forms. I talked about tape recorders. One of the more popular ways to, quote unquote, pick up EVP signals is to use a special radio that constantly cycles through the AM or FM band. And supposedly, ghosts are supposed to be able to use this to be able to send short messages. Okay. Well, here's the problem. A lot of both AM and FM bands, and some of them take it a step further and use shortwave. Within a very, very sizable radius, you're going to be able to pick up various signals. But they actually sell these radios that you can set to just keep going through every frequency on the dial. And there are people out there who believe that if you do this, then ghosts will speak through it. And I'm guilty as charged. I have heard things through EVP that myself and a bunch of other people in the room at the same time believe to be 100% true. And looking at this from the standpoint of a ghost investigation kind of show, viewers understand the setup. It shows up in pretty much every episode of every ghost investigation show out there. The experts either place an EVP recorder in an empty room where the recording is analyzed later, or they use it to interview spirits that are interested in chatting in real time. Yeah. Since ghosts have no vocal cords, they use their energy to electrically manipulate sound that can be picked up by EVP recorders. Where do they learn this? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about this in terms of like Beetlejuice, where you don't realize you're dead until you find your handbook for the recently deceased, and then you start learning how to be dead. Yeah, that was. And it's like, do they do, do the dead take classes on how to manipulate EVP? Yeah, because that's the only thing that I can think of that would make any sense with any of this. Because I don't think anybody in life knows how to do this. And you have to be dead to be able to do it. So, who's teaching them? You know, that's my big question. In most cases, and and I want to say in all cases, not most, but in all cases, words are almost impossible to make out amid the static and buzzing. And maybe nothing more than background sound. Maybe they're nothing more than background sounds. This is Vincent Amico and his opinion on this again. But he softens the language more than I'm willing to in this, in this instance, He's he, because let's remember he believes in this. So he's going to take a little bit more of a soft tack on it than I will. He says that changes once ghost hunters put words to those sounds, interpreting them as voices from far beyond the grave. And this brings us right back to our discussion on backward masking. It's the same concept. Fluctuations in static coupled with other background influences can sort of sound like words. You hear things like Get Out or We're Here or any number of things people have claimed to hear. I've heard both. Yeah. Quote unquote, heard both. Um, and one thing I noticed about these shows, and they all do this, was that they almost always put up a subtitle of what we're supposed to hear so that when it comes up on the EVP, we are already being told what we're hearing. And of course, we automatically hear it at that point. This is exactly what guys like the Peters brothers and Joe Vieira and Gary Greenwald used to do with their backward masking bullshit. They would tell you what you were going to hear and these subtle garbled kinds of phonetic sounds would come together in our brains and we would hear the words. And in the vast majority of cases, that's what it is. Now, to be fair, I have been In real world situations where things came over the EVP and several people, or maybe, I mean, in most cases, it's almost everybody in the room, instantly gasped and chimed in with what they thought they heard, not being told what they were listening for. Right. Almost always in 100% agreement. It was so unanimous among the people that were in the room that it's like, how do you even dispute it at that point? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, all that means is that we all process phonetic sounds the same way, and if our brain hears something it can at least manipulate into speech, it will often put together similarities between that sequence of sounds and actual words. And if everybody in the room speaks the same language, then everybody's brain is going to do this. And, you know, let's be fair, Even the skeptics in the room at that point aren't going to want to look like the odd man out. Mm. They'll ooh and ah and gasp along with everybody else, even if they don't believe they heard anything. But I do remember one time in particular where something came through and it just freaked everyone in the room completely out. What was it? Well, my guess is that we heard two or three words from a DJ before the radio went to the next frequency. Right. That I think is most of what happened there. And again, timely... But nothing but coincidence. It's just that it was a well-timed, well placed coincidence that freaked a lot of people out. And I'll get into just a little bit more of that when we get into the part where I talk about some investigations that I've actually been on. Without being told what to listen for, I've heard things come over the EVP like yes, leave, help us. That one freaked a lot of people out too oh, I'm on sure. one of our investigations because more than a few people believed that we heard the words help us come through and we might have but not in that context i mean it was somebody on a microphone at a radio station but still you know or or maybe even on a cb and sometimes you're hearing things that you know you're you're just getting a real fuzzy interpretation you're just getting you're getting a real fuzzy message but sometimes in those situations sometimes the fuzzier the better because it's easier to to manipulate people into thinking that they heard something. One person says, oh, I think I heard this. And now everyone is like, yeah, you know what? I -hmm. think I kind of heard that too. It can go that route as well. TV ghost investigators also can and probably do manipulate the devices that do these things. They have to know that there are plenty of things in the environment that are going to manipulate the electromagnetic field. They have to know. And they have to know that literally anything can do this electrostatic discharge can do it. A passing car can do it. We already talked about cell phones and, you know, all it takes is one person deciding to not turn off their phone right. and it can cause chaos in that room. And I always liked how they would do this one. There were a bunch of things that I want to talk about, but this one, this one was the one that I think made believers out of a lot of people. And that's when you sit there and play the yes and no game. Right. Okay you put the uh, EMF device like in the center of the room and just start asking questions and they have to be yes or no questions. And whoever's leading the group at that point will call out to the spirits in the room and say, if the answer is yes, flicker once, if the answer is no, flicker twice. I still, to this day, do not know how they were able to differentiate between a single flicker and a double flicker because there was no pattern to it. Right. Like at all. How did they determine it? They decided which one was which, and that was it. If the leader of the group said that that was a yes, then all the sheep just sort of said, okay, so that's a yes. And if the leader of the group said that was a no, then all the sheep said, okay, that's a no. And that was the way that it went. You know, this kind of behavior is not just for evangelicals. (laughs) And I will admit that things got a little funky with that game once in a while because you start out with simple questions like, are you a child? No. Are you an adult? Yes. What if they said no to both? Mm. Now you got to wonder what precisely is in the room. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think that came out. I think that came up at least once or twice too, but that was a big one. The whole yes, no game with the uh, EMF. And then there were other things. These are some of the most used instruments in these shows, but they also show up in real investigations. You've got the whole thing with changes in temperature. And I will admit to feeling fluctuations in temperatures in different rooms and in different places, but I have to wonder if that was because I was told I would feel it. Yeah. You know, again, it's the same game played from a slightly different perspective. And there are other reasons why I believe that you experience this, especially in old houses. And I'll get to that later. One of the more hokey ones that I remember was when they would use those laser grids. Yeah. Because you're in a dark room and I guess ghosts only exist in shadows. So if the room is too dark, you're not going to see them. Mm -hmm. So we're going to put up this grid of laser lights so that when a ghost passes by, we'll be able to see it. Never saw anything. Not one time. You got the people who think that they can communicate with ghosts using dowsing rods and pendulums. Uh, people, let's make sure we understand something. Whether you realize it or not, you're manipulating these things. Yeah. You are manipulating these things. I've done things myself with pendulums when I was in a place where I believed in this stuff that freaked me out. And now I know that I held that pendulum. And I was trying to hold it still. I was trying not to manipulate anything, but I knew what I wanted the answers to be. And the pendulum always gave me the answers that I wanted or expected. I got this thing in Salem and I forget what they actually call it. It wasn't a Ouija board. It was this pendulum-based thing where you could ask the board questions. And just to validate that I was dealing with a real entity, I would ask it, Like difficult questions, things that I don't talk about all the time, like, what is my middle name? And it would spell out my middle name. Mm. It wasn't doing Jack Hugh shit. I was doing it, just didn't realize it because in my mind, I'm holding that thing completely still. But in reality, I'm making subtle manipulations to make that pendulum swing to each of those letters. And that's just the way that it is. There's no grander explanation for it than that. Another one that I really believed in a lot was a lot of times they will set up cameras in these rooms and just leave the room and come back later. And they'll be picking off shot after shot after shot, not necessarily video, but like still images. And the whole thing with orbs is a big (sighs) thing. Let me make sure that we understand something. They're dust. Yeah. They're motes of dust and that is all they are. And since the camera can't focus in on them with Precision, they come across as these circular, fuzzy things that we like to call orbs. Now, I've seen some strange configurations of orbs in pictures. That's for sure. I remember having one picture of me taken. I want to say this was around 2014. Mm. And it looked like, and there were other people who who thought this too and got a lot of oohs and ahs over it. It looked like there were orbs over each one of my chakras, (laughs) which I thought was kind of weird. But at that time, it was kind of exciting because I was going through a lot of changes. I had been in therapy. I had lost a lot of weight, and and there were people in that room that tried to tell me that this came up this way because I was bringing things into balance in my life. And now I could see all of my chakras in the form of orbs on a picture. I've seen other examples of things that you know people lose a loved one recently. And you take a picture of them, and then there's this orb that's resting on their shoulder. And they'll say, oh, that's your deceased loved one. Right. And it's the same thing with just putting a camera in an old, dusty room and just firing off pictures, especially if you're using the flash. But in a lot of investigations, they won't because they're afraid they'll scare the ghosts away or whatever. <laughs> but, but you don't need it. Because if you've got a mode of dust that's like right up on the camera lens, it's going to pick it up. And that's all it is. There's nothing supernatural about it. Now, some of the sources that I looked at for this took things even a step further and completely call out some of these shows for the things that they do. I zeroed in on this one because it's the blog at a radio station that I used to listen to in New York. (laughs) This is the blog at 101.5 WPDH, and this was one of their uh, DJs. Really, really short little article on something that he saw on Ghost Adventures that basically cinched it for him that the whole thing was a crack of shit. He's talking about this one episode where they utilized a GoPro and used an app that allows you to view what the GoPro is seeing in real time. So during this particular episode, they found themselves in an old building that had some sort of waterway beneath it, and they mounted a GoPro to a remote-controlled boat, and the app lost connection once the boat reached a certain distance. Oh no, I guess that means a ghost is coming. Mm. Well, not really. They attempted sending the remote-controlled boat out again, and it shut off at the same point, which they used as concrete evidence of a ghost encounter. Or, for someone who has used a GoPro, and said app used in the show, the author of this article said, I know from personal experience that there is a certain distance that the app can sync with the GoPro, mostly because while using it, I got too far ahead of the person viewing the app and it lost connection. So ghosts were not manipulating the GoPro. It just lost its signal because it got too far away from the source device, and that was it. And for this person, it cinched it that it was all a crock of shit. And since we're talking about phone apps, what happens when this stuff makes its way off of the screen and you've got opportunistic coders and app developers that see an opportunity? Well, you get cell phone apps that are supposed to aid in ghost investigations. (laughs) And oh my God, there are so many of them. And no, I'm not kidding about this. I'm just going to look at a couple that are out there. One of the higher rated ones out there is called Ghostcom Radar Spirit Detector. Sounds legit, doesn't it? (laughs) It allows you to exchange messages with ghosts while locating where they're standing. Okay, I'm not sure how a cell phone is supposed to do that. Um, spoiler alert: it's not, and it can't. <laughs> Ghost Tube SLS is another one. It uses your phone's technology to detect humanoid bodies in your environment by projecting a grid of infrared light. It's the same thing as putting up the laser grid. It's supposed to be able to uh, to see things using infrared light. There is a disclaimer here that you you have to have a newer phone that's capable of doing this. But mm. most phones still aren't capable of picking up infrared signals on their own without some kind of an enhancement. And those enhancements do exist, but they don't exist in the form of software. They just don't. I've heard of this one before, iOvulus. This ghost hunting app produces speech from ghosts. You hear about the Ovilus all the time mm. on on some of these shows. Yeah, It kind of looks like some of the older ones. I don't know what the newer ones look like, but I know the older ones kind of look like an old style BlackBerry. Mm. And it would bring up actual words and sentences that made sense. There are plenty of algorithms out there oh, sure. that can write a sentence for you based on our, our phones do the whole predictive text thing. So this was predictive text before predictive text was cool. Ovulus has been at this for a while, and it's ovulous to me that it's bunk. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) This is another one that I actually had on my phone. It was called Spirit Board. Ask the Spirit Board questions or input text and then wait for a ghost to respond.
1: Wow.
0: You know, I didn't have it on my phone because I thought that I could talk to ghosts. I had it on my phone because I thought that it was a step up from the magic eight ball. And (laughs) it was kind of fun thing to have on my iPhone three. That's how long ago it was. Let's see, maybe one or two more here. Apparently, someone's someone thinks that they've developed an app that can uh, scan and record EMF signals. Um, we've got one that's called Paranormal EMF Recorder and Scanner. Simple title, straightforward. It says this app is aimed at anyone who has an interest in paranormal investigation and research. It offers a fun and easy-to-use EMF detection, automated EMF recording, and the ability to analyze your findings right in the app. You know, only one problem with that is that your phone is only going to pick up a certain type of EMF signal. Yeah, And that's why real EMF recorders cost a lot of money because they're made to pick up different types of signals at a lot of different frequencies. Your phone has a finite number of frequencies that it can operate in. Not that there aren't a finite number of frequencies anyway, but this is a very, very small part of the electromagnetic spectrum that your phone can actually pick up on. So again, nothing but bunk. I'm going to uh, throw one more out there and we're going to move on. The ghost detector radar camera. And the the description of this, it's so over the top. It says, beware, this app is horrifying. Why would I want it on my phone then? <laughs> to use it, brace yourself. Do you-
1: <laughs> I What?
0: To use it, brace yourself and walk around using the screen to hunt for ghosts. If one pops up, wow. <laughs> oh my god! If one pops up, use the app to ask them a question. <laughs> it's an ultra realistic experience that might as well be real.
1: Uh, okay. Is it really? Mm, Is it really? I'm skeptical. Okay.
0: All right. So that's the kind of thing that's out there. But here's the thing. People buy these apps. They spend money on them. Whether they're serious about it or if they just want a ha-ha, they're buying them. And there are so many more. There are so many of these things out there. And none of them have the capability of doing what they say that they can. Like zero of them have the capability of doing what they say. Now, if you're super serious... And have the money to waste on it. There are literal e coms devoted to ghost investigation equipment. And let me tell you, it costs more than a phone app. Some of this stuff is not, by any stretch of the imagination, cheap. And I just want to look at a couple of these things because I actually have bought stuff from this site. <laughs> this is a site called ghoststop.com. They've been around for a while, they haven't even updated their front page in a very long time. I knew what I was looking at the instant I came in here. But I mean, they have everything. EVP recorders, EMF meters. They have night vision cameras. They have ghost boxes. The ghost box is where you take a radio and just make it cycle through all the frequencies. They've got lasers and other types of lights. They have thermal detection equipment. They have all of this stuff and it's all nothing but bunk. Let's see some of the stuff that they have here. What what does some of this shit cost? You've got the Envoy Ghost Box that sells for the bargain price of $399.95, down from, what is it, $459.95, so real bargain there. Mm. Some of this stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the prices, and the low end seems to be around $80 for just one piece of equipment, and the high end can go as high as $400 or $500. We've got the laser grid system that you can get for the bargain price of $359.95, You've got the S-Box Ghost Box for $79.95. So if you're not as serious as someone who buys the Envoy, or if you just don't have the money for it, you can get the $80 version that obviously is gonna be just as good, right? Right. Yeah, okay. So that's uh, that's one site that I've actually purchased some stuff from. I I didn't really take the time to go through and see if some of the stuff that I've bought there is still there, mostly because I don't care. But I can tell you the prices have gone up.
1: Yeah, The prices sure. have
0: definitely gone up in the last couple of years. I can remember when you could get stuff on that site and it was in like the 20 or $30 range. And that was the only reason why I bought from there. Oh, sure. But you've got ghosthuntersequipment.com is another one. And I'm, I love how all these sites also have merch. You can buy t-shirts and you can buy ball caps and all this stuff on these sites too. Clothing, accessories, and cool stuff. There's There it is right here on this site. You've got all their categories here, cameras and camera accessories, combo deals. Let's take a look at some of these combo deals. Okay, so, well, this is actually a little bit better value. You've got a full ghost hunting kit for $3.99. Let's click on this and see what you get. Um, You've got your Weatherproof Equipment Hard Case. You've got your SB11 Spirit Box, which is one of the most popular ones out there. You've got the ParaForce. It's P-A-R-A, the number four, C-E. ParaForce NEM Master alerts you with lights and sound when static electricity approaches. You've got the ParaForce Shadow Master, which detects subtle changes in light levels and alerts you with sound and light of such changes. So what's the difference between these two things? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I they're, they're described as doing the, pretty much the exact same thing. And my, my knowledge of this stuff is basically years out now, so oh, I sure. can't look at these two things and just tell you what the actual difference is. You've got the authentic, authentic K2 EMF meter, so much better than those fake K2 EMF meters. <laughs> this one's authentic, this is the legendary meter seen on every paranormal TV show. So of course you have to have it too. Right. If you're serious about this, then yeah, you have to have it too. Easy to use and to see activity in the dark. The K2 samples EMFs very fast, making it extra responsive to paranormal activity. The meter is super sturdy, built to last a lifetime. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, whose lifetime? The ghosts. <laughs> the ghost's lifetime? ooh. <laughs> sounds like they're going to be there for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a real thumbnail sketch of what's out there. I mean, you can go on one of these sites and buy a ghost box for 30 bucks or you can go completely balls deep on the whole thing and spend more just as a casual investigator. Mm -hmm. When you posture yourself as a professional investigator, you're talking about equipment in the tens of thousands of dollars that has absolutely no utility value whatsoever for what you are using it for. Because EMF meters are useful in areas of engineering and whatnot. you're, You're using these things in constructive contexts, but... They've just gotten themselves such a reputation for being about this that most people don't understand that most of this stuff is legit equipment, but it's not meant for ghost hunting. They all have practical applications. They've just been branded for this purpose in this instance. And you know, let's be real here. Every penny that I actually did spend on equipment for this, and I didn't spend a lot, but the little bit that I did spend was a complete waste. Let's just put it right out there. I had no other utility purpose for any of it other than going out there and looking for ghosts. But to be fair, I did have fun. And I want to talk about a couple of the investigations that I went on and even one or two things that I still can't explain. Let's start out with the SK Pierce Mansion in Gardner, Mass. Okay, this one has been on pretty much every last one of these shows. Oh, yeah. And at the time that I did my first investigation there, the people who owned the house at the time were still part of the process. They were bringing people in. I'm certain they were making money off of it. But I believe the place has since been bought by a company that uses it for ghost investigations. Of course. That's what it's there for now. But things were a little bit less, um, I don't want to say there was less hype, because they still hype things up really well. Right. But the couple that owned the house at the time, I don't know. There's part of me that wants to think that they actually believed this stuff. They didn't really have the whole grifter kind of vibe Right. That you that you see with a lot of these guys, that you see with most of the ones that you see on TV, okay? Mm. These people seemed, they seemed more sincere. They seemed like they were really freaked out by this. They were not living in the house, but they couldn't sell it because of its reputation. And when they bought it, they didn't know its reputation. They just knew that they were getting a good deal. But you know what? If something is too good to be true, yeah. then it probably is. They bought this house for a song and probably sold it for a shorter song. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think I ever met the wife. I did meet the husband. He was very friendly. He was accommodating. There was one time after I did my first one, remember when we drove past it and you got all freaked out? I
1: looked up at it and it felt like somebody punched me in the chest. Yeah. It was just weird. Yeah, yeah. the weirdest thing I'd ever felt.
0: It gave off a vibe because you knew what it was. Yeah. And that was it. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember this guy's name anymore, the guy who owned it at the time. But I did remember as we were driving by, I saw him outside and it had only been a couple of months. I figured he'd remember me. And so I decided to just go over and say hi. Parked the car, went over, said hi, and then disappeared into the house with you and Liam sitting in the car. It's like, what yeah. the hell is he doing? I didn't stay long. I just thought that it would be cool to revisit a couple of things and also see it in daylight and see if it was as scary in daylight. Mm -hmm. And this dude had a story for every room in the house and sometimes multiple stories for some rooms in this house. And it was a large house. It's called the S.K. Pierce Mansion for a reason. But I wanted to see how it felt walking around in there in daylight. And if I'm going to be honest here, no, it's nowhere near as creepy in the middle of the day. No. Once the sun goes down, that's when showtime begins in this place. During the day, it's just a pretty old house. And then when everybody comes in to do their investigations, that's when the creep factor starts to elevate. Mm. But this guy did say that he saw things happen during the day there, too. So, you know, who knows? Who knows how many of these stories have any basis in anything? He didn't strike me as the type who would lie, but if they saw all the things that they were seeing, I have my theory as to why, and I will share that toward the end. So that was the S.K. Pierce house. I mean, we I did two investigations there. I've been inside the house a grand total of four times, but I did two actual investigations. One was just a few hours. We were out of there. I want to say it was like one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, and we were out of there. And then there was one that I did that was an all-night thing where we all brought sleeping bags, they brought in catered breakfast for us the next morning and whatnot, and I don't know, I slept and I didn't have any problems. That was one of two investigations that I did that were overnight where I actually did sleep a little bit and nothing weird happened while I was sleeping. We were all kind of gathered in one part of the house and kipped out in sleeping bags, and literally nothing happened. We woke up to the smell of bacon and pancakes, and we had breakfast and went home, and that was it. That was the second time that I was in there. The first time was a little bit creepier. I also think that it has to do with the group that you're with, and the people who are there, and what their motivations are, and how they react to things. Being there with the first group that I was with, I found the experience much scarier
1: right. than
0: uh, than the second group, because the first group was basically a bunch of Wiccans, Mm-hmm. And the second group, I mean, that they believed in this stuff, but they were more intellectual types. They were trying to understand more than they were trying to experience. You know, they wanted to try and find reasons why these things were happening and what the sources of them were. So when you approach it from that angle and you're at least willing to admit that there could be a logical explanation for it, it changes the whole tone of the investigation. It became more academic and less woo you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was the same place, but two completely different experiences because of the groups that I was with each time. Then there was the Parsonfield Field Seminary up in Maine. This was the one where I don't even remember how we worked this. Did we take two cars to Salem that day? Because I know that we were in Salem. Yeah. And then I went off on my investigation and you guys went home. I yes, guess we took that's two what cars. We did. And I had a hard time finding the place, but I finally did find it before everything was really underway. And in this particular instance, it was a good time to the extent that, you know, I knew a lot of the people who were there, but literally nothing happened. We spent the entire night there. And then around two or three o'clock in the morning, everyone was just starting to um, they weren't feeling it anymore. And a lot of people went home but those of us who had traveled a long distance were accommodated. We were able to stay. They asked us to bring sleeping bags. I actually got to sleep on one of the beds in the monastery. So again, nothing happened while I was sleeping. I was alone in that entire wing of the house, and it felt perfectly safe and secure. And literally, literally nothing happened that night. (laughs) We did everything on this list. We set up EMF detectors. We set up EVPs. We did all of the things and came back like several hours later and would just listen back to the recordings of nothing but static and the occasional barking dog. (laughs) And that was it. And of course, the question then is, well, are there dogs on the property? Well, there was one because that was not a spectral dog. That was just a dog. Sometimes a dog is just a dog, okay? (laughs) And that's... The most exciting thing that we heard or saw during that entire thing was a barking dog. And again, it was fun because of the atmosphere and the people that were there, but it was a complete waste of time otherwise. Three-hour drive home after that too. That, was, uh, that yeah. was the best part of it. I was tired and I was hungry and more than a little disappointed at the way things panned out because they hyped it up so much. They talked to us for like an hour before we did anything they started talking to us about things that had happened there and all these rules and protocols that they had that we had to follow mm. because the idea here is that we commune with the ghosts and not disturb the ghosts and these are things that we've found that disturb the ghosts so please don't do them you know that that, that was i mean we wow. we got we got at least an hour of that and fortunately they didn't have food i could eat but at least they had coffee because listening to this guy drone on the way that he was, it was already putting me to sleep. It's like, we haven't done anything yet and I'm ready for nappy time. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he was very verbose and he went on for a long time about all the things to do and not do to keep the ghosts happy, basically. Right. So that was Parsons Field Seminary. And then there was the hotel that Matt neither hoped. of us can neither of us can remember the name of. Yeah, I've tried googling it a dozen different ways, and I can't figure it out. All I know is that it's right here in New England. I'm pretty sure it's in Massachusetts. It might be on the the very border of one of the other New England states. Right. But this place, it was the only one that you came yeah. with me on. I, yeah. And it was our Wicca group. It was our our circle of friends that were there. Mm-hmm. And I did feel like there were a couple of things that happened there, but I'm certain that there were explanations for them. Like there was the one point where we were all in this room and someone said that there was a child. Yeah. And I honestly thought that I felt child's hands on my shoulders. Yeah. Well, did I maybe because I expected something like that or hoped for it, or maybe someone just brushed me and didn't want to say anything at that point because of the way that I reacted to it? I don't know. It's one of those little things that I can't completely explain. And I breezed right past this one at escape here. There were two at escape here, so I'm going to backtrack just for a quick second. The two things that happened there that I couldn't explain was at one point we opened a door and several of us heard whispering and there was no one in the room. I don't know what that means. I mean, there could have been someone on the other side of a wall or we could have been hearing something going on downstairs through a vent. Anything could have produced that. All I know is that it gave several of us the (laughs) heebie-jeebies because we opened that door and just heard nondescript whispering. The other thing was in one particular room in the house, the, the whole thing with the kid touching me was what made me think of this. We were in a part of the S.K. Pierce house that was for at least a time occupied by a woman who was a prostitute. I was told that I was sitting in her favorite chair, and uh, there was just a big king size bed of red velvet everywhere. Just you know, your stereotypical view of what a brothel is. Okay, yeah. and again, I felt like I felt hands on my shoulders, but there was no one behind me. And again, it was just one of those things where I maybe I just moved in a certain way and my hoodie tightened around my shoulders just for a second, or I brought in my shoulders a little bit, and it felt like someone was touching me, then it could have been any number of things. But of course, everyone in the room believed me implicitly, and they all started aiming their equipment in that area, trying to catch a glimpse of something. And uh, of course, no one did, Mm -hmm. because there was nothing there. I'm bouncing around with the details here. The listeners are probably just like, oh, Jesus Christ, will you get your thoughts together here, Spider? Well, It all kind of mishmashes after a while. Because most of these experiences are so similar that the details kind of mishmash a little bit. But we're going to go back to the one that you and I did together. So we had that one instance with the kid Mm -hmm. who everyone was saying there was a child in the room and then I felt child's hands on me. Right, And then there was the one part where we were in one of the bedrooms. There were people in my life encouraging me with this, like to the nth degree at that point. Of course. So one of them actually addressed me specifically and said, what is it that you're feeling here? And I said, I feel like there are two people here, a man and a woman. And one of the people from the hotel confirmed that there was some shit that went down between a man and a woman in that room. Okay. Well, that's a very, very vague detail, Yeah, but I kept bringing up things, just things that came into my head, about how I was feeling about the energy in the room at the time. And they just kept confirming and confirming and confirming. So, of course, that steeled my belief that these people were there at that point.
1: Mm.
0: And then after a while, things just basically stopped happening. You mm-hmm. know, we, there's just so much that you can manufacture. Yeah. And then things stopped happening. And the person who was leading that part of the investigation said, I think they've had enough. I think it's time to just leave them alone at this point. And we left the room and that was it. But of course, you know, um, it's just like, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks with like tarot cards and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You can come up with details about things that are based on anything. And I don't know whether it was just the vibe of the room, whether it evokes some kind of a memory or some kind of a trigger in my head that involved a man and a woman at odds arguing or whatever, but I was told that I was right. And of course, that's a good big boost to the ego and it perpetuates this notion that all of this is real. And the people who were with us at that time had every motivation to perpetuate the notion that these things were real and encourage people to develop their skills in being sensitives. I was referred to as a sensitive right. by a couple people in that group because I seemed to get a lot right. Well, you know, basic shots in the dark more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But at that time, that's not the way that I saw it, obviously. But now I know that the details that I was throwing out there could have applied on a number of different levels, just like when I used to do tarot readings, those words could have applied to any number of situations and been taken any number of ways by any number of people. So it really meant nothing. And again, those two things were the only two things that happened that night. And we were told that the room that we booked was one of the most haunted rooms in the place. Yeah. And we slept soundly without any interruptions yeah. or anything like that. It was, we, we slept, we got up, we had breakfast, we went home and that was the end of it.
1: Yeah. The only thing I can really recall is that I felt like not much was going on.
0: No, no. And that's, and that's 99% of it. And
1: it was like, I think I felt a hand touch my hand a couple of times. But you know what? That could have been me in my big imagination. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, the, the hairs on the back of your hand, they stand up a little bit. Yeah. Or well, you know you, you get a little bit of a spasm or something like that. It, all kinds of things happen.
1: It was freezing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That place was cold. It was. And I was like, oh, my God. I just want to stop so I can get into bed and sleep because I'm freezing and I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much everything. yeah and I was like, this isn't for me.
0: I forget what time of year that was. I think that it was around fall. yeah, it because was like... we had that big dinner beforehand, too. do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I remember the dinner better than I remember the investigation. They put on a good spread yeah. and for what we paid for that, they damn well better have. but yeah um, but yeah, it was uh, I enjoyed the dinner more than I enjoyed the investigation yeah. to be perfectly honest. I mentioned earlier. About the whole thing with fluctuations in temperatures. Right. Well, this is just a running theory in my head about why these things happen. Most of the time, you're not seeing this kind of phenomena in houses that were built in the last 20 years. Right. You get these things in houses that are much older, you get them in houses that were built long before the days of central air and multiple heat zones and whatnot. I get the sneaking suspicion that if you go into a room in one of these older houses and it's colder than the other rooms are, is there just the slightest possibility that those ancient radiators might not work consistently and put out the same amount of heat? Mm -hmm. And of course, you've got the same size radiator in a different sized room. All of these things factor into how much heat these things are going to generate. So one of my thoughts recently on this is that most of the places that I went to investigate were well over 100 years old. And even the ones that had been retrofitted a little bit, you have to understand that older houses just didn't have the tech to be able to regulate heat throughout the house. Our house was built in 1955. It has one heat zone. And there are rooms in this house that are way hotter than others because of the way that the radiators are situated, the sizes of the radiators there could have been some better planning with this house. I'm just well, I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. But even in my own house, I can go to different rooms and they're going to be different temperatures. Yeah. And it has everything to do with the amount of heat that those radiators are putting out. So there's that. And the other thing that I teased a minute ago with whether or not what these people were talking about at SK Pierce being real or them being total fabrications, I actually discovered in the course of my research that low levels of carbon monoxide can have hallucinogenic effects. They can make you see things, hear things. And when you're talking about a house that is well over a century old with its ancient furnace in the basement, it's entirely likely a unit like that could be pumping out a little bit more carbon monoxide than what's normal or, or healthy, but it could also be below a level that a CO detector is going to actually pick up on. So if you're right there on the cusp of that, right below where it's actually going to pick up, but it's still getting in you, it can have hallucinogenic effects. Hmm. And that I believe, I believe that that is why these people who were living in that house and having exposure to the air in that house all the time could have something to do with the level of carbon monoxide that was being produced by that ancient furnace. Mm, So that's another little sort of scientific way of looking at it. But you would need a lot more data. And I don't think there's anybody so far who's been willing or interested enough in this to go in there and try and see what those levels look like in different parts of the house. And I would also be very interested to know, because I, I didn't ask all these questions at the time, but I'd really like to know how much of this happened during heating season. Yeah, That would be an interesting piece of the puzzle to have. Mm. I think that it lends just a little bit more of an edge of practicality to the discussion on this and the whys of some of the things that that can happen, especially if you live in the house that's quote unquote haunted. Most haunted houses are pretty old. So that's something that I think needs a little bit more attention paid to it is those levels of carbon monoxide, maybe not lethal or even harmful to the extent where it can do damage to your lungs, but that it can do things to your head. I think it's worth investigating further. I think it's far more worth investigating than the ghosts that people say they see in their houses. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So, what's the bottom line on ghost hunting? Well, as we say around here, dead is dead. People don't leave metaphysical footprints, they don't leave energy signatures, they don't turn into electrical impulses that can make lights flicker. The only thing that validates any of it is our imagination. Yes, I thought at least twice that I had been touched. Yes, I heard voices that I can't pinpoint the source of. And yes, At the end of the day, there's a short list of reasons why, most of which come right back to my own imagination. To be quite honest, I didn't see much or experience much on those investigations. I was hopeful, but didn't see much. I was good at agreeing with other people about what they experienced, but all I ever got out of it were feelings that ran the gambit between exhilaration and foreboding and the opportunity to spend a fun evening with some interesting people who were all looking for the same thing. And that same thing is proof of life after death. And guess what? We still don't have any because at the end of the day or night, as the case may be, we may have assigned meaning to certain things. We may have experienced a few moments of group hysteria. We might have experienced the psychology of the bandwagon effect, but what we never experienced was ironclad proof of anything beyond the fact that we were in an old house with a long history and some of that history might not have been terribly pleasant. So our brains geared up for something foreboding and our imaginations delivered. I felt everything I was told I might. Changes in temperatures, different atmospheres in different parts of the houses and buildings we were in, shifts in light, all of it. And all of it had simple, logical explanations, whether those explanations were immediately apparent or not. We've all seen things move out of the corner of our eye. Many of us have seen shadow people and other things that we equate with apparitions. And There's a reason for that. Our senses have a way of sending information to our brains that sometimes gets lost in the translation. And I'm just going to put it right out there in black and white terms. There's no such thing as ghosts. Don't waste your money on expensive ghost hunting equipment only to ooh and ah over someone in the room getting a text. And lastly, don't go looking for proof of life after death. That's not something for ghost investigators to uncover. It's the task of science, and it's a task that isn't likely to be completed anytime soon. Stay focused on the physical world and the very real things that occupy it. There's nothing wrong with a little fun in this arena, but don't make the mistake of taking it seriously, because seriously, you're going to be disappointed. Don't look to popular media for your answers either. I mean, we all know how reliable reality TV is at conveying um, reality. Keep your focus on the things you know to be real and keep demanding proof of things that other people tell you are real but can't produce proof of. You know why? Because keeping your ability to do that sharp is proof positive that you're at least on the right path, the one that leads to getting and staying unbound. We hope you- enjoyed this episode of Unbound show topics are chosen based on their timeliness relevance and social impact have suggestions for future topics email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback please don't forget to like share and throw a few five star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms and don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website getunbound.org That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound.